Welcome to the inaugural episode of Arnold Golden Gregory's podcast series, AGG Talks, Solving Employers' Problems. Our podcast features AGG attorneys discussing challenges that they've encountered when assisting clients on business and legal issues related to the employment relationship. My name is Ashley Kelly. I'm a partner with Arnold Golden and Gregory and the co-chair of our employment law practice group. I'm here today with my employment law partner, Teresa Kananen. Hey everyone, this is Teresa. Thank you so much for joining us. For this episode, we're going to be talking about an issue that we get calls about every day. COVID-19 vaccines have become readily available in most areas, and as we sit here today, the CDC has just issued guidance stating that fully vaccinated people do not need to wear masks in most circumstances. So as the world slowly returns to normal, more and more businesses are beginning the process of returning their workers to the office or regular work sites, wherever those may be, on pre-COVID schedules. Some workers are anxious to come back to the office. Others really don't want to return for a variety of reasons. In our episode today, will focus on how to handle several common scenarios in which employees are reluctant to return to work. But before we get into those specifics, um, Ashley, what do employers need to do before they bring their employees back to the office as a matter of general preparedness? That's a big question, Teresa, but it's certainly important as an initial matter to have a well-reasoned return to work plan. And that plan should have a variety of different prongs. First of all, it's essential that you comply with all of the applicable laws. And this is not always straightforward because while we think of the federal laws, it's important to remember that particularly with respect to the type of issues that we're facing with respect to COVID, there are many relevant laws that are state or even locally based. Um, and these can vary widely. So if you are an employer that has locations in many different states or even municipalities, cities, your employees may be um, governed by different restrictions or guidelines. And it's also important to consider public health guidance, most notably the CDCs, but again, also any that's issued by your state or locality. We suggest that that plan be in writing and that it includes the types of safety protocols that you as an employer are implementing. And this may be things such as extra or heightened sanitation measures, improved ventilation, the types of physical or social distancing that you're going to implement, whether or not there will be masking requirements, um, whether there will be policies regarding travel and similar issues such as these. And particularly as it relates to the topic that we're discussing today, which is how to deal with employees who are reluctant to come back to the office, it's vital that the plan be communicated to the employees prior to their return. This can really help give the employees comfort that the business is taking their safety seriously. We've seen in numerous instances as we've been advising businesses throughout the COVID pandemic that employers may have very uh, well thought out, well-reasoned return to work plans, but the employees just don't know what's in them. So it's important again, to send them out and communicate them to your employees. So with that background in mind, let's move to our first scenario. And that's one in which employees are refusing to turn to work because of an underlying health condition that they believe makes them vulnerable to contracting COVID. Teresa, how would you address that scenario? 
as with so many scenarios in the law, there is never a one-size-fits-all approach. But there are some really solid guideposts that we can recommend um, to approaching these issues and crafting a solution for that particular employee. First is whether or not you will have a vaccination policy in place. And that is the subject of a separate podcast that will be in this series. But regardless of whether you are making vaccination mandatory or not, there are some other things to consider. For example, will you work with your employees uh, to schedule paid time off? Will you be offering unpaid time off? Another thing to consider is if you have employees in a state or jurisdiction that requires that paid time off be offered to employees who are going to get vaccinated. That is sort of the logical first line defense towards people who might say, I'm so worried about coming back because I might get COVID. I have this underlying issue that makes me vulnerable. If you can get vaccinated and you can work with people on that, that is one of the first threshold issues that can cure the problem. But it could be that you have to do more than that. Um, For example, we knew of one client who had um, a an employee who was waiting for an organ transplant and was on medicine that was suppressing his immune system so that he could get ready to accept this organ. And because of that, he could not take the COVID vaccine. So it could be that an accommodation obligation under the Americans with Disabilities Act is triggered. This might be familiar to many of you uh, just from day-to-day business long before COVID, where somebody had some issue that made the normal working routine difficult for them due to some kind of underlying health issue. Here, if it's COVID related, you can go through a very similar process to what you would normally go through and trying to figure out what that reasonable accommodation would be. And that includes getting medical guidance from a doctor. A twist that we have found to be helpful and effective when you're dealing specifically with COVID related concerns is instead of just sending employees to a doctor with a form saying what's the condition and what should be done, it helps to provide the doctor with information about the precautions that you have taken uh, steps to implement in the workplace. If there is staggering of employee attendance, if there is heightened sanitation, misting, fogging, you have your cleaning crews coming through more often, all of these things can help the doctor craft the most minimally intrusive kind of accommodation. And then get guidance also on when the doctor believes it will be safe to return. A lot of times someone will bring a note and it says from the doctor, I I have diabetes or I am overweight. And all of these things have been recognized by the CDC as things that put me at heightened risk. But if the doctor looks at that and says, we don't see these conditions abating anytime soon, this person indefinitely should be out of work then that is not something the ADA would require an employer to honor because that's not a reasonable accommodation. Uh, The case law interpreting the ADA is pretty uniform in saying that permanent absence from work or prolonged absence with no services offered is really not within the bounds of what the ADA would require employers to do. Staggered attendance, flexibility in days of attendance, providing personal protective equipment, these are all also things that would be reasonable accommodations and that most employers probably have become very familiar with and have in place because we've lived in this COVID environment for more than a year now. Those are still very good ways to try to address concerns that employees may have about their own underlying health conditions and their own vulnerabilities 
And if you put those tools in their hands uh, and with clear communication, tell them what you can do for them, sometimes that can alleviate the concern and make employees come on back to work. All right, let's talk about a slight variation of that scenario where employees may be refusing to return to work not because of their own underlying health condition, but because perhaps they live with someone, a family member whom they believe is particularly vulnerable to contracting COVID and the employees worry about bringing germs home to them. Does your analysis change under that scenario? Absolutely. Um, That is a very common scenario that has come up and the Equal uh, Opportunity Employment Commission has issued very clear guidance as the agency that enforces the Americans with Disabilities Act that concerns about an employee's family or others with whom they are in contact being vulnerable does not trigger the accommodation requirement under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So as a business matter, we should say there there might be times where you have a very highly valued employee who is asking for an accommodation based on their spouse or child at home who has more vulnerability. And the law is not going to prohibit you from offering an accommodation but it's also not going to require it. So to come to a theme that we might touch on several times here, there's a difference in what you are legally required to do, which in this case would be nothing, and what you may wish to do as a business matter to keep your highly valued people happy and on board with you. With that, let's move on to a second common scenario. And that is when employees are refusing to return to work because they don't feel comfortable being vaccinated, they're worried about some reports that they've heard and are concerned about side effects. And consequently, they just think it's too dangerous to be out and about because they just don't want the shot. Ashley, what would you do in that situation? Well, just to reiterate uh, what you said a moment ago, Teresa, there will be an entire podcast devoted strictly to the subject of vaccines and vaccine policies. But generally, an employee being vaccinated is not a prerequisite to their coming back to the office. So an employer can legally require an employee to return regardless of whether they have received a COVID vaccine, again, keeping in mind the issues that you spoke about a moment ago um, in the case of an underlying health condition. And, And that same rule applies to the similar scenario that we hear so many times in which employees don't have any underlying health conditions that concern them, but they simply feel that returning to work is unsafe whether that's because of the number of people in the space making social distancing hard or what they perceive as poor ventilation or use of common areas. Um, And and now with the CDC's recent guidance, perhaps it's the lack of masks if that's what the business is choosing to enforce. But employees just may think that it's not safe and not fair to expect them to return. Again, this is one of those scenarios where legally a generalized fear of returning to work isn't a valid reason not to require your employees to return. And this is where it's important to remind employees, as we spoke of before, of the safety precautions that you have in place. Keep the lines of communication open. And again, even though there's no legal obligation, there may be simple accommodations that you can make 
to make the employee feel more comfortable as they return. And I use the word accommodation there, not in the legal sense, like an accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act, but just steps that you can take to make them feel more comfortable. So our final scenario is a little different. It doesn't have to do with employees feeling unsafe because of COVID. It's rather employees who are hesitant to return to work because having worked remotely for the entire past year, they now believe that they can do their work just fine from home and that there's no need for them to return to the office. Teresa, how would you respond to that? Well, I have responded to that many ways. And um, sometimes it's with an eye roll because I get a lot of very frustrated employers sharing that eye roll saying, really, do I have to leave people at home because they've done their jobs remotely? And the answer legally is no, of course not. You can still require people to return to work even if they have been working remotely. And the reason is that the employer is the one who defines the essential job functions. I'm sure many employers have had concerns about the productivity of their workforce um, when there are folks working from home. And that's not necessarily to say that people are trying to shirk their job duties, but there can be a lot of distractions at home, especially if they have children at home that they have to oversee during distance learning and so forth. But it's the employer's prerogative to define the essential job functions. And when you consider how you ran your business historically, if certain positions were always in person and they became remote only due to COVID, there is a very strong argument about the fundamental nature of the position being in office. There's also the intangible portion of the job where in-person interaction can be very important. I mean, sure, we've all become experts in Zoom and Teams and all of these remote means of communication, but actually having a workforce together in the the office or whatever your workplace may be to collaborate can be very valuable. And it is the employer's prerogative, again, to insist that people come back um, so that they can get the benefit of those in-person interactions. So again, as a legal matter, you can still bring people back even if they say, why can't I just stay home? I can work remotely. And you can say, because this is an in-person job. It's always been an in-person job and it continues to be an in-person job. But at the same time, there's a business consideration. You want to work to accommodate people as best you can. And so maybe that is a staggered returning to work. Maybe it's a week on week off sort of return. Um, But people who flat out refuse to return and say, now I've been at home all this time. There's absolutely no reason for me to come in to work ever again don't have to be allowed to continue working remotely and can be subject to disciplinary action up to and including termination if they are just flat refusing to come back to work. Yeah, I think we've both dealt with frustrated employers who are dealing with employees that jokingly or non-jokingly want to continue to work from their home in their pajamas. And so it's not something that you have to allow But what we're seeing both from clients and in the market generally is that many employees, as we said, have really embraced remote working and they are demanding increased flexibility. So some businesses are finding that in order to compete in the marketplace and retain top talent, they need to offer more telework or remote work arrangements going forward. What we're advising those clients is that if you find yourself in that situation, 
it's important to develop an actual remote working policy. You know, many employers in March of 2020 sent employees home to work on an emergency basis. But if you're going to make this a more permanent arrangement, it's important to have more formalized expectations with those employees regarding things like work hours, you know, when they're going to be in the office and not be in the office, how they are going to remain accountable, how they're going to meet with their teams and those sorts of things. So if in fact you are going to have more flexible work arrangements going forward, it's time to put some parameters around that so that we're not just all working in this emergency environment going forward. And on that note, before we shift gears, We don't suggest making additional policies just to make additional busy work and stacks of paper. The reason having a policy formally in place is important is because it can really help as a first line of defense in the event that an employer is facing discrimination allegations, like only workers over 40 are being compelled to come back in. Well, that's not the case. In fact, it applies to everybody or only, you know, this is adversely affecting, you know, young women with children at home. Well, it's a uniform policy and we've applied it uniformly. That's the sort of defense that is going to be your first line if you end up with charges you know, filed with the EEOC or, sport or any enforcement agency where there's an allegation that the remote working situation is not being fairly applied. Absolutely. And you also want to make sure that issues such as wage and hour issues over time are folks properly recording their time from home that those issues are addressed. Also issues such as proper reimbursement for perhaps uh, office supplies that you need from working from home, depending on the jurisdiction in which you're located. So there are any number of issues that we would suggest you address in a remote working policy. All right, so we've talked about bringing employees back to the office. Teresa, what sorts of liability risks do employers face if you bring your workforce back to the office and an employee actually contracts COVID at the workplace? Well, there's certainly been a lot of cases brought by aggrieved employees since the beginning of the pandemic based on exactly those facts. I was forced to come to work. CDC guidance was not being observed. I got sick. Um, And they've shaped that into a number of different legal theories like negligence or state or federal OSHA claims. But really, for the most part, those lawsuits have not gotten a lot of traction. And there is the problem of initial proof just showing that COVID was contracted in the workplace versus anywhere else, especially at times when COVID was really spiking in so many places across the country. Um, And most employers can show that they acted with reasonable diligence, particularly if they were complying with CDC guidelines. Many states like Georgia have liability shields that would come into play unless there's gross negligence or intentional misconduct. Georgia's COVID-19 Business Safety Act put into place in August of last year, and it covers all claims that accrue through July 14th, 2021 of this year. And I'm sure that any of you who have been out and about in businesses in Georgia have seen signs about the potential for COVID infection being an assumed risk once you enter premises. There are also arguments in some states about whether these sorts of claims should fall under workers' compensation coverage. Um, California was one that tried to make all cases of COVID infection one about workers' compensation. Uh, And 
that got quite a bit of pushback because of the presumption that the individuals had necessarily contracted COVID at work or due to some work-related condition. So it's certainly there's not any risk at all, but if acting diligently, most states have recognized that it shouldn't necessarily fall on the employer to make sure that everybody remains COVID-free and that if a COVID infection happens, the employer is not going to incur mountains of liability if they have been careful and they have followed COVID guidance. It's just one of those things that we've all been at risk for in society over the last 14 months or so. And hopefully the world is in fact returning to normal a little bit. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found this discussion to be informative. If you have any questions or would like to submit your feedback or topics for future podcasts, please feel free to reach out to Teresa or me. Future podcast episodes, including the episode regarding vaccination policies that we mentioned, will be distributed through our Arnold Golden and Gregory website and social media pages. You can find our contact information on agg.com. Thank you again for joining us. Mm-hmm.